Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Aging in place is a lifestyle choice for older adults. It's defined as the ability to live in one's own home and community safely, independently, and comfortably, regardless of age, income, or ability level. Today, my guest is Tori Goldhammer, owner of Living at Home Consultations. Tori is going to talk about why older adults should plan ahead if they want to stay in their homes as they age. And then she'll also provide some advice and tips about what to know to successfully age in place. So welcome, Tori, and thanks for joining me today. Hi, good morning, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. Obviously, Tori, you already heard the formal definition of of aging in place. So from your perspective, what does the term aging in place mean and, and how does aging in place relate to the needs of an individual? Yeah, and that's it's, it's a really interesting conversation and topic that um, people talk about a lot right now. And to me, aging in place is really the person making a choice to stay either in their own home or in their community for as long as they possibly can. So I think one of the distinctions right there is it doesn't necessarily mean you have to stay in the house you're currently in, but you can make a choice to stay where you want to be, in the community you want to be for as long as possible. Most of the times it is in the home that you're currently in. Um, I'm guessing you might be familiar with the AARP surveys that have been conducted over the years, but the statistics are that approximately 80% of the survey respondents want to stay in the home that they're in. So it's very important to people. Um, The good news about that is I looked it up and according to the NIH, approximately 93% of adults over the age of 65 are in fact living in the community. So it's a very small percentage of people who are not living in the community and hopefully they're living in a place that they choose to live in and they're living comfortably. That is definitely a question. You know, the process for helping somebody stay in their home, that's what I do. I'm an occupational therapist, and I work with people in their homes to help make this happen for them. And it's very unique and individual to each person. It's unique to the person themselves, to the home that they're living in, to the social supports that they have, and the community that they live in. So there's a lot that really we need to talk about and think about for aging in place. But the good news is that it's really very possible for most people. Well, and that that gets at why aging in place is important for older adults. But that said, would you also be able to say that it's possible to have independence and quality of life while aging in place? 
So I think that it definitely is possible. So there's a couple of things here. Um, I think quality of life really needs to be the focus. Um, independence is kind of a tough term <laughs> because I realized this in thinking as an occupational therapist, when I would work in facilities with people, my goal, my job was to make people independent with their activities of daily living. And it was funny because sometimes I would work with somebody, say, for example, somebody who had a recent hip surgery. And one of my goals would be to work with them to put their socks on, which can be challenging after hip surgery. <laughs> and sometimes the person would say to me, this is completely not worth it to me. My husband will put my socks on. And I thought, well, that makes sense. Like if you don't want to put your socks on yourself, you don't have to. So, you know, we live in a society where we're interdependent and we actually rely on each other a lot to help out. So I think it can be daunting to think about aging in place if we're only looking at independence. And I think that we really need to look at quality of life and what's important for you in your home that you want to be able to do. Um, so really being able to stay in your home because home is, is a place of safety, familiarity, comfort, memories, love, there's supports. So there's so many beautiful things about staying at home. And a good conversation to have is what does it mean to stay at home and what's important to me to be there? Well, and that said then, what I'm hearing you saying that if if you really, if an older adult is is thinking that that's what they want to do, age in place, perhaps a, a plan to achieve it uh, is, is important. And are there certain choices then that the older adult needs to make as part of uh, developing this plan? Right. Absolutely. I think that you you're definitely have um, an important question there. I work with, as I mentioned, I work with people in the community. And I would say, unfortunately, most of the time when I meet people, it's we're reacting to a situation. So we are reacting to possibly some sort of um, medical concern that has come up and we have to deal with things immediately. If we can be proactive and plan ahead of time, it makes it much easier to deal with anything that might come up in the future. So in coming up with a plan, I think that it's really important for everybody, and I always stress this when I work with people, is to think about what are your roles in your house? What is most important for you to do? So for example, are you the person that always prepares dinner? So your role would be, let's say the cook. Right? Um, is that important for you to maintain for as long as possible? Or frankly, is that something that you'd be happy to give up and you're not so concerned about that? And you can see like in that example, the difference is then we would decide whether or not access to the kitchen is important. So I think you really need to um, pay attention when you're thinking about if you want to age in place. I always suggest to people that they take a couple of weeks before they even meet with me and think about what they do on a daily basis um, and what of those tasks are really, really important to them and they want to be able to do for the rest of their lives in their home. Um, and also to realize that this plan that we're making is dynamic, that we can set up a plan today that might have to change six months from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. But at least by having the conversation and understanding what's important, um, it makes it easier to adapt that plan as needed. So you can look into making short-term goals and long-term goals, and again, just making it dynamic and adaptable. And to that point then, Tori, is there a certain time 
when uh, older adults should begin thinking about whether they want to age in place? Is it in their 50s? Is it in their 60s or 70s? Uh, what do you usually see or advise uh, your clients? So I don't know that there's a particular age that makes sense. I, I would probably say that as soon as possible, right? So I think any time that you've moved into a home and you've identified that that's the home you want to stay in, that's the point where you might want to think about it. So I don't know that there's a particular age. So for example, if you're in your 30s and you've moved into a home and you know you love it and you want to stay there forever, that's a fine time to start thinking about it. So what that means is maybe in your 40s, you decide to update your bathroom. At that point, do you update it with the intention of putting in place things that will make it easier as you get older? Another good time is, um, let's say you're meeting with your financial planner. You're already planning for your financial future. So sometimes that can be a good cue to take a look at the other factors in your life um, that will help you age in your home. So that might be another good sort of milestone to look at. I was also wondering if as you make this plan and you start considering what you want to do, is this something that you do by yourself or should care partners and family members uh, participate in the dialogue or at least in the planning? Um, well, as with everything else with this topic, it's very individualized. So I see the gamut, certainly. But if there are people involved and will be continue to be involved in the person's life, it is absolutely advised to have them involved in the beginning in the planning process. And, you know, I think that's important because it's really important for everybody who's involved to understand what the goals are. So again, I'll keep going back to the kitchen question. <laughs> and I go back to that because I use that as an example, because personally, as long as I have access to a microwave, I'll be fine. <laughs> but that may not be the point for other people. So I think it's important for everybody in that person's life to understand what is important to them, what it's going to require to help them achieve those goals, um, and where where the funds are potentially, where the supports are potentially that have to be enacted if things have to happen down the road. So the more informed the, the full network is, um, I believe it'll be easier to make the plan happen and to adapt as needed. And I'm wondering too, you are telling us as an occupational therapist, you work with a lot of clients, is it usually occupational therapists or are there other kinds of, of professionals or perhaps agencies out there that can help the older adult and the families de determine whether the older adults can actually age in place? And that said, I'm just wondering, are fees are involved in the case of, of using a professional or an agency? And, and if so, then how are those fees determined? Give us kind of an overview of what kind of professional help is out there. Okay, sure. So there are a lot of different disciplines and professionals that can help with this plan. Um, I think the most holistic professional is someone called a life care manager. Um, they are also called geriatric care managers, though I think that term is shifting more towards life care manager. And life care managers um, work with the individual, and anybody else that's identified as partners, as we spoke about, and really try to take a look comprehensively at what it will take to allow that person to remain where they'd like to stay. 
um, with the quality of life that we're hopefully, hopefully going to be able to attain. So they will look at um, the person's medical information, at the house, at social supports, at finances, things like that. So it's very comprehensive. So that I would say that's kind of the gold standard, actually, if you wanted to have like uh, a single professional working with you. However, that is private pay. Um, and the rates are going to vary, obviously, based on the person or the agency that you're working with. There are social workers and case managers that might be able to help. And a lot of times where I interact with that particular discipline is if I'm working with somebody who, let's say, for example, is on the Medicaid waiver, a Medicaid waiver program. Um, in that situation, the client is typically assigned a social worker who can also help plan a little bit and look for resources in the community um, and try to help the person stay in their home as long as possible. As far as therapists go, there are private pay OTs and PTs that can work with somebody um, to develop this plan. There are also, if you have been recently discharged, let's say from the hospital or rehab, and you know you might have a loved one that has difficulty getting out for therapy, you might be familiar with home health therapists coming into the home. Those therapists are covered by Medicare and they can help with immediate issues. Some of them can help with planning, but it's going to be probably more dealing with an immediate impairment. But those people are covered by Medicare. Um, and finally, there are people that have a certification called certified aging in place specialists. <laughs> Although it sounds like they may be the person that you exactly need. Um, I took that course and the focus on of that course is primarily just on the built environment. So it's primarily focused on your house. So if you work with a contractor who has that specialty, they're going to be versed in being able to modify your home to make it accessible, but they're not going to be able to take a look at the big picture. That being said, there are some therapists that have this CAPS certification that might be able to come in and give you a holistic plan as well. Um, but they are also going to be private pay at that point. And I'm thinking also that all of these resources that you just listed, you can usually find them on the internet? You can, you can. And I have some um, websites that I was going to list at the end um, okay. to give some information for that. Absolutely. I also wanted you to talk a little bit about perhaps situations or conditions that could prevent the possibility of aging in place. What would you tell us? So that's a really good question as well. So during the, during the week, I work for the Safe at Home program in Washington, D.C., and this is a program that helps people remain in their homes. Um, and we have worked with over 5,000 people in six years. So we've seen a lot of situations and really been able to make most of them work. I would say out of those jobs, over the past six years, there's been less than 50 people that we haven't been able to help in one way or another. Now, the caveat to that is it's maybe not helping people in the way that they want to. So maybe that they're, so let's say, for example, there's a physical, a new physical impairment that comes up. That, that happens, that arises. It may be that we can adapt the space so that the person lives on the first floor with a hospital bed and a bedside commode and we can have them stay there, but that may not be what they choose. 
and what they choose to do for having access to their entire house may be beyond any financial um, means that they have. So that might be a situation where it might be difficult for somebody to stay in their home. Um, additionally, I think if you're dealing with an cognitive impairment, um, that also might be difficult to stay in the house long-term depending on the caregiving situation um, because unfortunately, as conditions like Alzheimer's progress, it can become very, very difficult for a single caregiver to manage that. And at some point, it might be that that person can no longer stay in the house. But most of the time, I would say that we are able to figure out something. And I'm also wondering, too, if perhaps somebody lives in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area and say they don't have any relatives who are nearby, they live further away in the Midwest or maybe even on the West Coast, does that usually influence whether or not somebody can age in place if if they're, an older adult has to totally rely on, on professional caregivers, they might be a widow or a widower? Um, I'm just curious as to how important the nearby presence of family members can be. Yeah, and that's a good question. So as with all of my answers, Cheryl, I'm going to tell you that it's it's very unique and individual. <laughs> so absolutely, it absolutely makes it easier if there's um, close family nearby um, who's supportive and wants to be involved, that it definitely makes it easier. But I don't think it makes it impossible to stay at home. I meet with, um, so I would say the demographic of the people I work with primarily are women in their 80s that are living in the house that they lived in with their spouse and raised their family in. And a lot of them are now alone. And of that group of people, I would say a lot of them are actually supported by their neighbors or by their church group or by the resources available in the city. Um, I'm very familiar with the resources in Washington, D.C. And there are quite a lot that can really help. So it's not as easy. I certainly agree with you on that. I think it's definitely easier if there's family nearby, but it doesn't mean that there aren't other opportunities in the community to help out. And so what I'm hearing you say also is is that, as you mentioned, the cognitive uh, issues that may worsen, any other kinds of physical capabilities that could occur with uh, an individual uh, that might impact their decision? I'm thinking like maybe arthritis and an, in, an inability to maybe use their hands or their their bodies might be more, um, it may be more difficult to, to move or, or whatever. I, I was wondering if there's any other kinds of um, situations that could impact the decision of, of aging in place. Yeah. So, so naturally for all of us, we experience changes in our bodies as we age. That's just natural. So you mentioned arthritis and a lot of times wear and tear on our joints will will result in us having some arthritis issues. Some people worse than others, depending on their genetics actually, and their previous occupations or hobbies or um, even their physical condition. Um, another thing that happens to all of us is called sarcopenia. So I don't know if you've heard that term before, but that's the natural loss of skeletal muscle tissue. And it actually begins at age 30, believe it or not. 
but it's a naturally occurring loss. And so people might notice, actually, the first place that we start to lose this muscle mass are in our thighs. Um, so that's when people might start to notice they're having more difficulty with standing up from low surfaces or climbing stairs. Um, but the good news about that, I want to say the good news before I tell you what we can do in the home. <laughs> the good news about um, both of those things, about, about the sarcopenia and the arthritis, is that you can really mitigate um, the effects of those. So I, I probably will talk about this a lot too, but, and I'm sure your listeners are familiar with how important exercise is, but having a proper exercise routine can really mitigate some of the implications of sarcopenia and arthritis. Additionally for sarcopenia, um, nutrition is a big component of making sure that you can slow the pace of that muscle loss. So that's what I would say for physical. And then um, with regards to cognitive, just as with our body changing, our brains are changing. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's inevitable. It doesn't mean that most of us are going to end up with dementia. Um, it just means that the speed in which our brain processes information might slow down a little bit. So we might just need to do things differently. Um, again, as with sarcopenia, physical activity, exercise, sleeping, mental health, those are all good components of taking care of your cognitive health. But let's just say, as you asked me, um, either one of those factors begin to affect you participating in your home, right? So an example that I see a lot is somebody who wants to soak in their tub. <laughs> so I've certainly met people who don't like to take showers, they've taken baths their entire lives, and they want to continue taking a bath. And where they were in their 30s and 40s and could just jump in the bath and jump back out if something happened, that becomes more challenging in their 70s and 80s. So it doesn't mean that they can't do that task anymore. It just means that they have to do it differently. So it might be an example of putting in some grab bars that they can hold on to to get out of the tub. It might be using something that we call a power tub lift to get them in and out of the tub. So the focus, knowing that we're going to have this muscle loss and knowing that um, there might be some cognitive changes as we get older, the focus needs to be more on what can I still do and how can I maybe do it differently just so that I can do the things that are important to me. In addition to uh, the getting around in the home and, and being able to do things perhaps even differently. I'm also wondering if one also has to think about getting outside. I mean, getting transportation. If you're still living in your home, you either have to drive or you have to be close to public transportation or you have to get somebody to come and help you. Can, again, your physical and mental capabilities can these also affect like the daily activities, getting to the doctor? Uh, could that also have an impact on whether you could continue or even consider, but if, if you're already aging in place, to continue aging in place? So, uh, well, with regards to getting out of the house, I mean, that's something that is, it can definitely be a challenge. Um, and there are situations where we can't, where we can't modify the environment. So... Um, an example that I've I've met recently, I met with a couple in Capitol Hill, and it was it was it was dealing with an acute issue that came up, but it was also looking at long term, and that was actually a house that cannot be modified, unfortunately. And it's not often that that happens, but it happens sometimes. And in that situation, it's important to know that you that that 
person may have to move and cannot stay in that house if, let's say, for example, they have to use a wheelchair full time. Um, so I would say, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but as far as like exterior access and getting out of the house, that's a very, very important part. In fact, that's probably the most important part of aging in place and looking at your house. There are other things sometimes, um, sometimes inside the houses, the stairs are too narrow to modify and help a person get up and down the stairs um, on the inside as well. So then the conversation becomes, again, do we set this person up on the first floor? Do they have the funds to build a first floor master suite or are they staying in the living room in a hospital bed? Um, I think that what's really important to know is if, if it gets to a point, whether it's due to a physical limitation or a cognitive impairment or something like that, when the barriers become too great for either the person or their family to manage, it's okay to make the decision that something else has to happen. And I wouldn't want people to think that that's a failure because sometimes it happens um, and that there are people to have a conversation with to make you feel okay and make that transition feel okay. Okay, well, that's a good point to stop because we'll be getting into more of these issues after the break. But I did want to remind everyone that in case you tuned in late, we're talking with Tori Goldhammer, owner of Living at Home Consultations, talking about aging in place. And you are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We're talking with Tori Goldhammer, who is the owner of Living at Home Consultations, and she's given us a lot of good advice already about aging in place. But Tori, in the first half of the program, you talked a lot about different types of home remodeling and changing in the home. Give us some more information about what types of home remodeling issues might be required to age in place. And as I was preparing these questions, I also found that there seems to be a difference in the terms remodeling versus adapting. So help us understand what we need to know about this particular um, issue, remodeling and adapting and, and what's required. Sure. And thank you for that question, because it's a really important distinction that I think people need to be made aware of. So in that AARP study that I mentioned earlier, and in my experience, some of the greatest areas of concern in the house, which wouldn't surprise you, are the bathroom and the stairs, right? So let's take for the example of the bathroom. Most people um, would think, and I get this question a lot, that you have to completely remodel the bathroom in order to make it safe and accessible as we get older. So that might include taking out the tub, putting in um, a special kind of shower, making the room larger, doing all kinds of remodeling, which of course I would say is a great idea, but it can cost a lot of money and take a lot of time. So if you, if you don't have the money 
and you need something done more quickly, you can adapt your bathroom. And this is something that I would say, particularly occupational therapists are quite adept at. So if you are no longer able to step over the side of your tub, let's say, for example, you can, number one, remodel, take out that tub and put in a shower. Or number two, you can do something called a tub cut, which is exactly what it sounds like. They cut out the side of the tub and put in a fiberglass filler. So now rather than stepping over an 11 inch side of a tub, you're stepping over about four inches. The difference in price in that is pretty dramatic, you know, tens of thousands of dollars compared to maybe $2,000 to do a tub cut. But let's say that even the $2,000 tub cut is not an option. There are other options. There are specific shower seats and transfer benches that can also make it that you can get into your tub without having to step over the side. So what I really hope that people understand from this conversation is that it's not always necessary to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to modify your home, um, to stay in it. The difference is what's important to you. So are you okay with having a tub cut versus a new fancy bathroom? And if that's okay with you, then that's great. So again, and sorry, again, I'm gonna say it's very individualized to the person and the situation, but adapting is certainly something that people can do for the long term. Well, and these are all very good ideas because you are absolutely right, Tori. People have different situations and, and circumstances. so. Providing as much information here is 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 really important. And to that point, since we're talking about our homes, we've also heard that term universal design. It, it seems to come up a lot in connection with helping older adults r- remain in their homes. So talk more about universal design, but you also mentioned something a little bit earlier, and I want to bring that back, about the Americans with Disability Act. Uh, the requirements. So what's the difference between those two concepts? Yeah, and thank you for this question as well, because this is something that is very confusing for people, which I totally understand. So the Americans with Disabilities Act was enacted for public spaces to make a public space accessible to as many people as possible. And there are very, very specific guidelines within that to to the point of exactly where on the wall a grab bar needs to be placed, for example, or a very specific fixture that needs to be used. Universal design is a concept that can be also in public spaces, but also is a lot of focus on residential spaces. And there are not the specific requirements. There's not a specific height requirement or a specific fixture requirement to that. There's more individual it's more individualized and it's more aesthetically pleasing. So for example, you could have um, one example of universal design is having what we call a barrier-free shower. And to to get a barrier-free shower, it can be a very expensive process where they completely tile the shower floor and tile the tile of the walls, or it could be a less expensive and use a different fixture. So What I'm trying to say is that you have many more options with universal design than with the ADA, and you are not required by any stretch of the imagination to adhere to ADA guidelines in your home. That is not a thing. And unfortunately, some contractors might tell you that they're ADA contractors, which is great because they understand the concepts, but that doesn't mean that they have to put those specific, again, those specific fixtures or those specific dimensions in your home. It should be individualized and it should be something that's pleasing to you. And I imagine that uh, these 
various experts and that you mentioned earlier, and you're going to give us resources for at, at the end of the program, are very familiar with universal design concepts and can provide various options that people could choose? Yes, I would say so. So I've mentioned CAPS, and I'll tell you, CAPS is, uh, again, the Certified Aging in Place Specialist, and it's through the National Association of Home Builders. So that site is nahb.org, and you can look under the CAPS directory. And yes, during the CAPS courses, they talk about universal design. I, To my recollection, they don't even really mention ADA, I don't think. It's been a while since I took the class, but it's definitely focused on universal design. Okay, because I, I've actually done programs on universal design and uh, recall that it's it's quite comprehensive now, particularly as our population continues to get older. I also wanted to ask you about uh, the terms home accessibility and falls assessments. I would assume that both of these are very important as you evaluate uh, whether someone can age in place. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree. And it's interesting because actually, so so I'm, I don't know if you've had programs about risks of falling before, but it's a, it's a very complex. Yes. Okay, good. So, <laughs> so you know, it's a very complicated subject as well. So I'll just briefly say, because you probably already covered this, but according to the CDC, there are four risks of falling, which are vision, medications, um, balance and strength, and the environment. So you can tell from that, that the home environment is 25% theoretically, of your risk of falling. So while a home assessment is very important to consider with regards to a fall assessment, it's not it's not sufficient. If you're looking to deal with issues of risk of falling, there has to be a more comprehensive assessment done. And is that, is the falls assessment part of the home accessibility? Are they kind of intertwined? I just wanted to understand that. Yeah. Oh, so, well, it depends on the professional you're working with. So if you're working with an occupational therapist, I would say yes. If you're obviously working with a contractor, no. So that, again, depends. That actually might be a good reason to decide like what professional you want to work with when you're trying to figure this out. Okay. I also was wondering, you know, we've talked now about external and internal in terms of our homes, but I was also wondering about home maintenance. Can that be a major concern for older adults as they decide if, you know, whether or not they should age in place? Absolutely. And I think that this, unfortunately, is a topic that is not covered enough. And it's such a huge issue, honestly. So I already mentioned the the people that I primarily see. And so these are women, um, again, that maybe their spouses took care of maintenance for them, and now they're struggling to do it on their own. It's, it's really quite challenging. Um, but what I would recommend for people that are aging and want to stay in their homes uh, as they age is actually to hire a home inspector. So the home inspectors that you use when you're going to purchase a property actually offer home inspections for your home. And what that can do is that would really inform our plan. So they can tell you what the lifespan is of your roof, of your furnace, of your water heater, things like that. And so that way it can be part of the whole aging in place plan to see what else is going to have to be done with the actual structure of the house to keep it going. And then as far as, um, you know, hiring contractors is a challenge for a lot of people. (laughs) Um, And unfortunately, it's a particular challenge as we get older, unfortunately, because people see an older adult sometimes as vulnerable, which is not necessarily true, but that sometimes is what happens. So 
I don't have any particular recommendation for hiring contractors other than I would really rely on word of mouth, neighbors, neighborhood listservs. I know personally, I've had the most success with with that type of um, referral for looking for professional contractors, plumbers, tradespeople, et cetera. So important uh, in terms of older adults getting scammed by somebody who comes to the door and says they'll do something in their house and uh, they get taken advantage. So moving on to the plan, we mentioned this a little bit earlier in terms of family members being close by, but I'm thinking even more so in, uh, in connection with support issues. Might support issues be required of family members and care partners of older adults who age in place? Uh, are there certain areas, say, that would be may be required, again, depending on the situation, that are really important to think about as one considers aging in place? Yes. And I would say in my experience, most of the time that somebody has become a care partner, they do it out of a sense of love, right? And wanting to, if it's a child, wanting to return the favor of their parent taking care of them. So it's always, it's generally seen as a very positive thing. But I always encourage that person to make sure that they're taking care of themselves because it's very important to be a good care partner. You have to be in a good place yourself and and you shouldn't feel bad about that. So I always make sure that they understand that there might be some caregiver resources in the community. So for example, in DC, we have the DC Caregivers Institute um, and that's at Home Care Partners. So that website is... um, homecarepartners, all one word, .org. And a caregiver support group oftentimes will have that just exactly that. They'll have supports, they'll have case managers in place, they'll have educational um, programming for, for the caregivers so that they know that they also have to take care of themselves and can learn some trip, tips and tricks for working with their, with their care recipient. And it's also really important to realize and recognize that if you are a family member taking care of somebody, If it gets to the point where it's very high stress and high strain on you, you really do need to ask for help at that point and not feel bad about it because, again, you're just as important. (laughs) So there's study out, there's research out there to show that when it gets to the point that it's very high stress and high strain, the mortality rate of the caregivers go up as well. The other thing that I was also thinking of, or an additional thing, I should say, uh, about emergencies. Somebody might fall or have a heart attack or have a stroke, and if they're alone, might this be a factor to take into consideration for older adults who are aging in place or thinking about it? Absolutely, we should be, and you should talk about all of the sort of emergency planning as well as part of the plan. So with regards to medical emergencies, whether that's an actual medical emergency or a fall, the, the traditional has been to have a personal emergency response system. So that would be that life alert system. There's many examples of those. Um, and now actually even having like the Apple, um, an Apple watch will have that feature in it, which you might be familiar from a TV commercial recently. Um, so those are very important things to consider. And then with regards to fire, um, there's actually a website. It's from the National Fire Protection Association, which is um, nfpa.org. And they have a list of things that are important to consider um, while you're aging at home with regards to fires and how to get out. But one of the things I really want to stress um, is that 
smoke detectors. And I know that you probably hear this all the time. And so of course you check your batteries and your smoke detectors, right? But for people who maybe have a hearing impairment, there are other smoke detectors available and readily available that might have a um, flashing strobe light. And there are also ones that have um, vibrators that you can put under your pillow. So just making sure that any sort of alerts accommodate any the person and their needs in the home. Good advice, uh, and certainly an important factor. Another one thought that I have is about social isolation. Could social isolation be a negative when thinking about aging in place? You know, it is, and I and I see I see it I see both sides of the coin, so to speak. So there are people who definitely want to stay in their homes, and it makes them very happy to be in their home. But yes, there are sometimes some challenges that unfortunately keep them in their home, right? And so then they become socially isolated. So in that situation, it's important to understand what what is it that's either keeping them in their home or making or what's creating the barrier for them participating. So we've already talked about physical barriers and the outside stairs. You know, how can we make it so that they can get out of their house? How can we get some transportation to help them get to their get to some activities. And in DC, there's, of course, the Metro Access Program, there's subsidized taxi programs, there's other programs. Um, There's a lot now, the good side of COVID, maybe you can say, is that there's more technology available. I think people are getting more comfortable with Zoom and those types of platforms that help um, people visiting programs. Sometimes people stay at home because they're afraid of falling. And that will keep them isolated. And if that's the situation, then certainly calling physical therapy or occupational therapy can help, as well as having a buddy to go out with. And the only other place that I really see people isolate themselves is when they're in grief. Um, a lot of times when people have experienced a lot of loss, there's there's grief and they don't want to go out and, and socialize. And in that situation, it's very important that if we recognize that, that we help get them some support, either through counseling or support groups. But social isolation um, really can have a negative impact on your health and well-being, absolutely. And you mentioned already about transportation and and some examples. Are there some good websites that people can look up? And I know you're located in the district, Tori, but I believe that that Metro Access and some of these other possibilities uh, are located in all of the jurisdictions in this area. Is that true? Yes, I would agree. I think that every jurisdiction um, will have some sort of transportation option for older adults. And you're right, I'm most familiar with D.C. And in the D.C. area, um, Seabury Resources, I believe it's still Seabury, has a prepaid taxi card um, for people to take discounted taxi rides. Um and of course, there's Metro Access, and I'm sure in Virginia there are similar programs. And of course, now, depending on your comfort with it, there's you know Uber and Lyft and things like that, so which help. Right, right. I wanted to hear more from you about the village concept. I've had folks on my show that talked about the the village uh, movement, and uh, I know that there is more than 75 different villages in the metropolitan area, but I know that you've been associated with that. So tell us more about what the village uh, concept is, especially for folks who are interested um, in aging in place and, and how it, again, might enhance one experiences of doing so. 
Yeah, the villages are fabulous. They they are. So I started my private practice the same year that Capitol Hill Village started in this area. So we kind of grew up together. And my experience in working with the villages is, number one, they're all different from each other, which I guess you've probably had that conversation with your other guests. Um, so each one offers services that are unique to their area. But in general, my experience is that they're very supportive in helping people remain in their homes by doing things such as transportation. That might be one thing they help or simple tasks in the home, like changing light bulbs, changing the batteries in those smoke detectors, <laughs> um, helping find vetted vendors. So I often refer people to the villages specifically for that purpose. If they need to have a plumber or um, an HVAC person, the villages will often have vendors that are vetted and that they can trust. So um, they are a wonderful resource in our area. Well, in fact, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Arlington Neighborhood Village. I'm on the board of directors of that organization, and they have many volunteers, and a, a large part of their activity is transportation through volunteers and helping get folks to the doctor or to get groceries or to uh, help them in some other uh, task that they need. So, And in fact, the other thing is, is that there was a reduced rate for membership uh, during COVID because there were a lot of folks that needed assistance. So the village movement is just, and, it's, and it continues to grow. So I'm glad that you talked about that. And I would, I'm glad that you mentioned the reduced rate because a lot of the people that I work with knew about the village, but thought that there was no way they could afford to partake in the services. Yes. And I know specifically from Capitol Hill Village, because that's, that is where I live, um, that they have a sliding fee scale. <clears throat> and I assume a lot of the other villages do too. I don't know exactly, but I would always encourage people to call and ask. It doesn't hurt to ask. Right. And, and in fact, the other website that I would encourage is something called Washington Area Village Exchange. And that website, I don't have the the specific, but at least Washington Area Village Exchange, and it has a list of all of the villages. So wherever somebody might be listening, if they are in the metropolitan area, they can uh, find a village in their neighborhood because there there are many. Yeah, I was going to say I actually do have that website if you like. It's wavevillages.org. Okay, thank you, Tori. <laughs> Well, one situation that I, I also wanted to hear from you to give us more details is, should care partners and family members be advised, say, when you discover or maybe your colleagues from a professional agency, that it's apparent that an older adult can't stay in their home any longer? How do you handle situations like that? Yeah, and those are difficult situations, absolutely. And there's a lot that goes into deciding how to handle that. The first concern is that I am bound by HIPAA, which is the privacy, right? So if I don't have permission to talk to somebody else from the client, then I, that's in and of itself a challenge. Um, if I do have permission to talk to a family member, I absolutely do talk to them and try to problem solve what's going on um, with the person. If it's a very difficult situation, this is when I rely on my colleagues <laughs> that are much more adept at this. For example, a social worker or a case manager that can help navigate difficult conversations. And do you then, because there are individuals and, and agencies and uh, professionals out there who could help the family members 
Um, in fact, I, again, Aging Matters has featured some uh, individuals who do that, who can help the family and the older adult figure out what the best place is uh, for them to say. To, you know, it could be independent living, it could be assistant living, uh, residential care. Uh, do you help to uh, refer that individual or do you help the family and the older adult? How does that work? Yes, I do. So definitely in that situation, I refer, so I've worked with some of what they were called geriatric care managers before, I believe are now life care managers. I have worked with some of them in the past. So I would refer the family to somebody in that um, position who's, that's within their scope of practice to help the family figure it out um, and work hopefully with the, with the person, with the, with the client themselves to hopefully get them in a place that's going to best suit their needs. It's not easy. So you definitely need somebody who is comfortable with that process and can really have honest conversations. Um, again, I, I would stress that sometimes this happens and it shouldn't be seen as a failure. It's just a transition to a different place. And oftentimes a person can thrive in the new situation. I've seen that plenty of times. So it just really depends. And you know, sometimes having an honest assessment of the situation is all you need. Like, for example, I I worked with, um, actually, I was referred by Georgetown Village, in fact, to work with a gentleman in Georgetown. His family was concerned um, about him staying in his home. And um, when I arrived, I, was, I wasn't quite sure what to expect based on the report I had gotten from the village. And this gentleman was walking without a cane. He was walking up and down the stairs by himself without, with very little difficulty. And so ultimately we talked about more preventative type of supports like grab bars and rails. And then the son called me very upset <laughs> that I didn't recommend much more sort of invasive, um, what I would call invasive or extreme modifications for this particular gentleman. So I explained to him that I had these standardized assessments and talked to him about the scores and what they meant and what the plans are. And as things change, this is where we'll go. But I think like having a professional who can do standardized assessments and who this is within their scope of practice to help the family and the person understand where they are today and what their needs are and how we can meet it is very important. Well, and it sounds like it that helps the family and everyone understand uh, what the circumstances are as to whether or not the individual can continue to age in place in the home versus finding something where there's some more supportive care. Uh, do, do you agree? Absolutely. And that, and that's, again, the advantage of hiring professionals. And when you hire professionals, I would suggest that you ask them if they do standardize assessments, because the nice thing, like for me, example, I'll do, um, I have a whole battery of assessments, uh, which stemmed from my clinical days, right? So I can do three or four balance assessments with somebody and get an objective score and really understand where they're at as far as the risk of falling. Um, and I and I definitely think that it, as with everything in life, the more information and the more factual data you have, the more informed your decisions can be. Okay. Well, we're just about out of time. And I wanted to make sure that you provided our listeners with the best resources for helping older adults decide whether aging in place is the best choice. Right. Well, thank you. So I, I, I'm, I've mentioned a few of them already. So I mentioned the life care manager and where you can find a life care manager would be at what's called the Aging Life Care Association. And that website is aginglifecare.org. 
And just for some general information about aging in place, um, AARP has some good resources. The CDC has some good resources. Um, the National Council on Aging has some good resources. Um, as far as finding people, again, those CAPS providers, uh, they're at the National Association of Home Builders. So that's nahb.org. Um, my website is living, uh, my company is Living at Home Consultations, and it's lahconsultations.com. But what I would like to do is encourage everybody to also um, take a look at this person that I discovered. Her name is Ashton Applewhite. And her website is thischairrocks.com. <laughs> and I listened to a TED Talk from her this past weekend, actually. And she talks about ageism and hopefully combating ageism. But she takes a very positive look at all of us as we get older, because the truth is we all do get older, right? And so um, it's a re she's really, really um, inspiring. So I would encourage people to take a look and see what she has to say. And did she say any words of wisdom that you'd like to share? <laughs> well, she did. Oh, she absolutely said a lot of words of wisdom. So one of the things that she said, which I thought was really remarkable, um, she said, well, and I would say this, and I didn't mention this earlier, but research has shown that negative thinking can have an impact on our healthful aging. Um, it can have an impact on our cognitive ability, can have an impact on our physical abilities. And one of the things that she said, which I thought was so interesting, was she tries to change her own internal dialogue. So if one of her knees hurts, she no longer says, oh, my knee hurts because I'm getting old. She thinks, oh, it can't be because my knee is old because my other knee is totally fine. So it's not that the knee that hurts is because it's old. The knee hurts because there's something wrong with it. So just really understanding that what we experience as we age, there are some things that happen that happen to all of us, but we have the power in many situations, we have the power to mitigate either of those things or to adapt and just make sure that we're doing things maybe a little bit differently, but we're doing what's important to us. So being mindful, being active, thinking about your nutrition, thinking positively can really make a big difference in us and our ability to age that the way we want to. Good advice and a good way to end this program about aging in place. So I want to thank Tori Goldhammer, owner of Living at Home Consultations, for joining me today. And I want you to know that if you want to know more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, here you can access all the Aging Matters radio and TV show content that we have produced over the last five and a half years. And of course, now our programs are also on Aging Matters podcasts, uh, the Aging Matters podcasts on Apple and Spotify. So be sure to check out that website. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. And that company, the website is inkmouthmedia.com. So thank you. For listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Mm -hmm.